we can put out there the whatever the marketing message is and make the phone ring, but it's how the phone is answered that is distinguishing. Welcome to a very special episode of the Game Changing Attorney Podcast. This time it's Legal Legends Live 2, featuring industry powerhouses John Gomez, Andrew Finkelstein, John Barry, Mike Morse, and Glenn Lerner. And if I don't have the people that I have the confidence in the way they're answering the phone and delivering the services, then I'm at a competitive disadvantage because frankly, that's what I think my competitive advantage is. I'm Michael Mogul, founder and CEO of Crisp Video, the nation's number one law firm growth company. I've built my business through practice, not theory. Crisp started with just $500 to my name and has grown to over eight figures in revenue over the last few years, earning a spot on the Inc. 500 list of the fastest growing private companies in America. Our approach has been to take everything we've learned about generating massive growth within our own organization and help the country's most ambitious and committed law firm owners do the same for theirs. In each episode of this podcast, I sit down with innovative market leaders from the legal industry and beyond to learn from those who thrive in the face of adversity, challenge the status quo, and define what it means to be a true game changer. I sat down with legal industry powerhouses, John Gomez, Andrew Finkelstein, John Barry, Mike Morse, and Glenn Lerner for an intense round of conversation on everything from legal marketing to rising to the top of competitive markets to the personal habits and mindsets that have helped them succeed as leaders. Sizzle without the steak is gonna be sniffed out as fake and false every single time. That's coming up on the Game Changing Attorney Podcast. These five accomplished law firm owners are all market leaders in their respective markets and practice areas, and I'm incredibly grateful to have them all together for one electrifying episode. To introduce each one of them briefly, John Gomez leads the elite trial team at Gomez Trial Attorneys out of San Diego, California. Andrew Finkelstein is the managing partner of Finkelstein & Partners, along with three other law firms out of New York. John Barry heads up the Barry Law Firm out of Omaha, Nebraska, one of the leading veterans law firms in the entire nation. Mike Morse is the founder of Michigan's largest personal injury firm, Mike Morse Law Firm. And Glenn Lerner, the heavenly hitter, is the founder of Lerner & Rowe Injury Attorneys. We'll start off with this kind of a, a softball question. And John Gomez, we'll, we'll start with you. And I'll actually we'll ask everybody this. We kind of go one by one on this one. Is you know, essentially, you know, this really being about like legal legends and legal market leaders. What is it that you believe separates the market leaders from every other law firm? Just in every market, what do you think sets the market leaders apart? I think uh, market leaders are defined by intention and and conscious uh, effort. You know, I think market leaders, everybody on this panel has um, paid close attention to who they are and and what they're trying to provide and has constantly worked to get better and better and better. There's a complete lack of complacency. You know, if you are a market leader in this industry, you could be a market leader one week and be, you know, lose that leadership spot a week later if you're not constantly working on things. So I think just consistency of effort, always looking inward, always trying to get better, always trying to learn from others. And so I've learned from each of these, uh, each of my co-panelists, you know, I've, I've picked up things from them and applied them. And, you know, so that's how I'm trying to become a market leader, just always trying to get better. Thank you. All right, John Barry, what, what do you think sets the market leaders apart? 
I think it's guts. A lot of times you, you get people that, that, that can match you in terms of focus, intelligence, but it's the guts to do the things that you need to do to get to where you need to go. Uh, whether it's to buy a bunch of billboards and think about, wow, that cost, or wow, people are gonna think that I'm you know, one of those cheesy billboard lawyers, right? But what they don't understand is the reason why people do it is because it works. So you not only have to have the brains to do it, but the guts to actually execute it. I think that's what sets the market leaders apart from everybody else, the guts and the desire to actually execute the plan. Anybody can come up with a great plan, but to really go through with it really takes determination and guts. Mike Morris. You know, what came to me when John was speaking, you know, uh, John Gomez originally, never being satisfied. And I, and I know some of the panel members well, and I don't know some of the others, but I know from their practices how, how what kind of great visionaries they all are. And they're just not satisfied. I mean, I don't think these guys are doing it for the money anymore, right? I mean, so it's just trying to build a great organization, take care of their people, take care of their practices, and continue learning, volunteering their time to help other lawyers, giving back to their communities. Every one of these panel members do that. So for me, it's just the key, it, the takeaway is just never being satisfied and always wanting to get better. Excellent. And, uh, and Andrew, Andrew, what do, you, what do you think sets the market leaders apart? I think that it's a distinction between dreams and goals, right? Dreams are just fantasies. I think probably everybody watching this wants and has the dream of being the market leader. And I think the distinction is those who are goal-oriented kind of set that North Star and execute on a plan. So the dream could be that fantasy, but goals have a plan and you have to sit down and kind of define what that goal is. That goal is aspirational. You're reaching for it. But if you don't have a uh, defined plan to accomplish it, you're just going to be grasping at your fantasy dream. So to me, it's all about the plan persistence in executing that plan, but more importantly, being pliant. I think of it those three Ps, plan, persistence, and being pliable, because it's not a straight line to where any of us have gotten. You got to be able to bob and weave a little bit. And Glenn Lerner, I know the heavenly hitter, I know there's, you know, in, in any market that you're in, I know that there's other law firms that aren't always exactly fans of Lerner and Rowe, and I know you've been a market leader for a long time. What, what do you feel sets the market leaders apart? I think what everybody said, uh, it's a little bit of everything. Certainly what Mr. Gomez said, um, I think Mr. Berry, when he talked about uh, risk averse people versus people that are risk takers, and then certainly having a process. I'll give you a really simple example. When I first started practicing, maybe a year or two into when we were just in Vegas at the time, maybe 20 years ago, and a guy came up to me, had seen how big we had grown pretty quickly, and he said, Glenn, what you overhead a month? And I said, a couple hundred thousand a month or whatever. He said, oh my God, how do you go to sleep at night? And I said, I've never thought about it once. And that's a difference. People that are risk averse, they live thinking about, oh my God, what could I lose? People that are risk takers say, hey, I'm going for this. I'm not going to worry about it. But ultimately, you still need to have clearly defined processes in place for success, sustained success. And the two guys that I talk about nonstop my whole life are always going to be Bill Belichick and Nick Saban. Because if you follow anything that they say and you apply it to the way you run your business, I think you'll be successful. You have to give people clearly defined processes and find people that fit into the way you do things. I don't want stars. I don't need Terrell Owens. I need people that fit with what we're trying to do. 
and that buy into our team. We are a team, you know? So a little bit of everything. And Glenn, we may ask you, I'll keep, I'll keep it on you. So on the other side of this, what are some of the commonalities that you've seen in, you know, in firms or firm owners that either fail to grow or unable to grow consistently over time? What, what do you believe that those firm owners are doing wrong? A lot of guys, what will happen is they make a little bit of money or they have a little bit of uh, a modicum of success. And then they just take it and they buy a big house and stop buying some fancy cars. I think everybody that, that's done okay in this business, you put every cent back into your business. You know, as we've grown around the country, you know, I've tried to take 50% of what we make every year and I just put it into growth, going into a new market or growing new markets in a, a particular state we're in. Because I just, I always knew that just being the, you know, the big fish in one market would never be enough because everybody's always gunning for you. You know, Vegas was by far our biggest market. Now it's our, it's our smallest market. It is what it is. It's a cyclical business. Everybody's always gunning for you when you're the, you're the king of the hill. You just keep grinding. Mike Morris, I, I want to ask you the same question because I, I think in your book, you, you know, you really talk about how to overcome these barriers, but just, you know, what are some of the commonalities you've seen in firms or firm owners that either fail to grow or can't maintain that growth consistently over time? What we talk about in the book is, is that law firm owners in general uh, suck at running businesses, don't understand what a visionary is, don't understand, you know, what an integrator is. They try to do everything. Um, they are risk adverse, like Glenn just said, they don't know their numbers. So, you know, we are, we are getting reluctantly into the consulting business. And every time a lawyer calls me, the first thing I ask him is, you know, tell me what your average fee is and tell me how many cases did you sign up this week and how much do you have in the pipeline? And I ask about five or six questions and 99% of the time they don't know their numbers. And so the law firms are stuck and they're stuck two, three, four or five people with some support staff and they can't grow because they don't have the processes Glenn just mentioned. They don't know their data which we talk about, they don't pay their people enough. So it's a revolving door. They don't hire superstars. They don't know when to fire fast and hire slow. They don't get the fundamentals. And as we're teaching law firms this, we're seeing them get better. We're seeing, and when they know their numbers, when they know the data, they can make better decisions. We're talking to people who, who wanna go on TV and I say, okay, well, tell me about your numbers. We don't know our numbers. Well, let's stop. Let's take a step back. Let's learn the data. Let's figure out if you're ready. And then once they're ready and they advertise and market and do all the things that they want to do, they can flourish. But most people don't take the time because they, like kind of Glenn just mentioned, they get some success and then they start buying things and they take their eye off the ball. Maybe they'll buy a McDonald's or they'll buy a something else and they won't focus on their business. You know, we all can afford other businesses, but we don't. We, we stay on track to law firms. Either you grow or you just grow in your own market and you're satisfied with one big market or you want to grow into other markets. It, do, it doesn't matter. If you know all these things and you know how to run a business, then you have success. The people who don't know how to run a business, in my opinion, either fail or they stay small and they can't grow and have the, the success that they think they should be having. So they're frustrated. Agreed. Andrew, Andrew, what are your what are your thoughts on this? I really don't know. I don't I don't go into their firms. I, I couldn't tell you. Uh, I would suggest that they just don't have clear stated goals and an execution plan to achieve them. I don't know what other firms are doing. I'm not focused on what other firms are doing, to be honest with you. There we go. All right, I knew this is gonna get good. John Barry, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean I think professional growth 
right, is always preceded by personal growth. And if you think you know it all, you don't know anything. Right? And you have to continually learn, right? Our landscape continually changes. We have to be aware of that and what's going on. I mean, the best firms have the best leaders at the helm. And the reality is if, if you're not willing to grow as a leader and improve yourself, your team's not going to improve, your business isn't going to improve, you're going to stay the same, and you're going to stay stuck. John Gomez, what do you think? You know, I, th I think it's two things. You know, one, do they really want to grow? You know, we can say, oh, I want to get fit. I want to be more healthy. How, how often do we hear that? And then you're like, well, what the fuck are you doing about it? And it turns out nothing. You know, it's all aspirational. It's all, you know, uh, dreams, not goals. And so, like, there's got to be commitment, like conscious commitment with you looking forward and really, really intending and putting your mindset to, to grow and improve. You know, one, you start there. And then the big thing I see is, like, a lot of lawyers just can't let go of anything. They can't delegate. They can't let go. They got to be working on every case, you know, or otherwise it's going to get messed up. And and you can only do so much. And so if you're of that mindset that you can't delegate or surround yourself with people that are actually going to do a whole lot of things better than you do, then you're never going to grow. So you have to get comfortable surrounding yourself with good people and trusting them to do things that are not worth your time. Thank you. Thank you. And, and I think we'd all agree that, you know, we are where we are today as kind of a product of all the decisions we've made up to this point. And, we, you know, we're going to be where we are tomorrow based on all the decisions we make from this point. But I want to ask you guys in terms of, you know, looking back, if you can pinpoint, you know, what might be the single greatest decision you made that caused your firm to really take off? Like, what was that pivotal moment? What was that decision? You know, Glenn, Glenn we'll start with you. Let me go back to that last question for one second, because I think what um what several people said, uh, Mr. Morse, Mr. Gomez, um, you, you know the term, stay in your lane. You cannot be the brand and be the guy practicing law in court all the time. You can't do it. You need to be able to delegate the practice of law if you wanna grow to other people. You are the brand, you run a business, and I think that's the most important thing. If anybody really listens, you can't do both things. It's, that's the number one killer in the inability to delegate. Now, going to my top decision, uh, my best decision probably about 14 years ago, Kevin Rowe was working with me in my office. And I saw certain, he had certain innate qualities that I thought separated him from anybody else that ever worked with me. Kevin wasn't a good leader in the beginning. Kevin is an amazing leader, a partner, a friend, a brother. And it's, it's really changed the dynamic of our business. I'm the big vision guy, and he's the detail guy. But to have a partner that you've been together with a long time that you can lean on, especially in times like this, you know, this is a stressful time right now with everybody's caseload gone down to a certain extent, especially if you do single event accidents. You know, people aren't working as much. People don't crash as much if they're not on the highways. But to be able to, I think it, you have someone else's energy to feed off of, and, you know, partnership isn't for everybody. I'd never thought of having a partner, but it's been the best thing that ever happened to my business. Really allowed us to grow to a different level. And I think it's the best decision I've ever made. All right. Thank you, Glenn. And actually, this is it's interesting you mentioned that. Mike Morris, I don't know your answer, but I imagine it might be, might be similar to that. So I don't know if it was the best decision you ever made, but you, you and John have a very interesting dynamic between, you know, you being the visionary, him being the integrator. Yes, that's that's well, it was hiring my first business consultant that I think everybody needs an outside voice to come in and help your business. Um, that's the best decision. I would not have found or hired John if my business coach didn't say, 
go find yourself an integrator because you're doing everything. So I was the visionary, I was the integrator, I was the trial attorney, and I was signing the paychecks, I was doing everything. So when I I didn't understand how to write a business. For the first 12 and a half, 13 years of my running my shop, it was all me and I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I got some success, I got to about 20, 23 people, and then I hired my business coach, who was an MBA, he's not a lawyer, so he's not my official partner, he's my partner in the book, he's, he's my partner in the fireproof consulting business, but he's not, you know, he's not a lawyer. He can't be my partner. In Arizona, he can, I guess, now. That's a different story. But the business consultant, I'm a huge uh, believer of that everybody needs because I could not, I, I've never seen anybody really, really do it without good advice. Thank you, Mike. And, and I will say for those listening, uh, Mike had a very interesting business coach at the time because it ended up being Gino Wickman, who would, you know, I don't know if he had written Traction yet, but was the founder of EOS Worldwide. And, you know, if, if you're not familiar with what that is, there's a great book called Traction. Or if you don't want to read that book, there's another book called What the Heck is EOS? It's kind of a simpler version of it as well, but um, highly recommended our business. We run on uh, on EOS as well. So let me, let me turn this over in terms of, so we'll stay on the question, but John Barry, I want to ask you, what, what, looking back, was the single greatest decision that you made that really caused the firm to just take off? What was that pivotal moment? I think it was back in 2016 when I realized I had hit most of my goals as a practitioner. I hit other life goals, and I wanted the next thing. And I was at uh, the uh, AVO, Lawyernomics, and that's actually where I met you. And it, quite frankly, if you were a vendor there and Barry Law didn't hire you, your sales team sucks. But uh, but no, that's where some of the relationships started. And some of those turned out really well, like my, my relationship with you and Crisp, and some of them went nowhere. But then I built bigger relationships on those, and I found the people who have done what I want to do. And I've been able to reach out and talk to them. I mean, whether it's a, a Mike Morse or someone else who's been where we're going, to be able to reach out to them, be able to have that conversation, and to be able to, you know, test your vision against people who have actually been there and done that. And so for me, yeah, it goes back to 2016 when I just decided, okay, I've hit all these goals. What's next? I'm going to grow my firm to X size and I need the right people in place to do it. And maybe that's not going to be an integrator right now, although now that's what we have, but it's just reaching out to that first person and committing to reaching out to as many people as you can until you start finding the answers you're looking for. Thank you, John. All right, John Gomez, what was the uh, single best decision you made looking back? You know, the funny thing is, I feel like I sit in a different chair than all these guys. All these guys have very, you know, well-established firms. You know, I just started really working on my firm, the business side of the firm, the management side of the firm, within maybe the last year. And so um, before that, we were just trial lawyers, so we really worked on being trial lawyers. So I would say that the, the single best decision, this is not sm blowing smoke up your butt, Michael, was getting involved with CRISP and um, learning about this growth mindset and having access to people like are on this panel. And so over the past however many months, I haven't been able to try cases. I'm so grateful that I'm not watching all these seminars on trial tactics and how to cross-examine an expert and, you know, which is all fine and good. And I spent my whole life doing now I spend my time. I've listened to the podcast of all these guys. I've learned things from it. We've really turned inward at the firm um, in terms of management and growth. So I would just say like changing course, you know, from being just a trial lawyer 
to being a person that's very interested in, you know, my business and my team. And that just came by virtue of exposure to Crisp and this mindset and these people. Thank you. And, and I will say, it seems like the prevailing theme in, in, in a lot of the answers is just kind of the importance of mental nutrition. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of like the information that you're taking in, meaning that the people that you're surrounding yourself with, what you're reading, what you're learning. Um, let's talk about that. I mean, just how important do you guys feel it is? I mean, it seems like it's very important, but also how do you decide kind of what to invest in, in terms of, you know, developing yourself and growing yourself as a leader? So Andrew, we'll, we'll start with you, sir. I think it's critically important. Constantly reading, uh, voracious appetite for new information because you never know what you're going to learn. And th- my problem is I'm reading, I'm always reading like four books at the same time. So I'm moving between one and another. And if you're not investing in yourself, you're making a significant error because it just doesn't fall down and drop upon you the knowledge that it appears that people have, they work at it and they work hard at it. I mean, there's a reason why this is called the practice of law, not just in court, but also as a business and as an organization. So I think it's tremendously important to to go into different social structures that you're accustomed and being uncomfortable. I think that's really important, too. And also the prevailing theme in, in much of this is kind of the importance of humility and, you know, and, and the importance of asking for help. Uh, a lot of what you guys have mentioned is, is in fact, admitting there's aspects that, you know, may not be your strengths, leaning on other people, asking for help. Uh, do you ever feel like you don't know what you're doing? And, you know, in, in, in those moments, who do you call on if you don't? Uh, so, Mike Morris, we'll start with you. Uh, sure. There's, there's always uh, times where I don't know what I'm doing. Luckily, I have uh, set up great mentors and, and colleagues that I can call. But I also have a team. So, you know, one of my stories that I tell in the book, Fireproof, is uh, when Gina Wickman said to me, when I finally reluctantly hired a $5,000, $6,000 a day coach, I'm like, all right, I'm biting the bullet. I, I know I need it. And he says, okay, bring your leadership team. And I said, I, I don't have a leadership team. It's just me. And he says, no, no you have a leadership team. And I, I pulled together two or three, three people and myself and we showed up and now I have an eight person leadership team. And, you know, we meet every week like clockwork and the issues are discussed and I delegate like uh, John was talking about and others that, you know, we, we, we have issues, we discuss those issues and we solve those issues. And then they are delegated to somebody to, to carry through and, and cascade the messages. I'm not doing this myself anymore. And, and I'm, pretty well established that if I have a question I can't understand, I, there's somebody on this panel I can call. There's lots of people smarter than me that I can call. I mean, I'm, I'm constantly reading, like Andrew just mentioned, constantly. Um, I'm not reading the news. I'm not watching bullshit. Um, I'm focusing on getting better, learning, connecting, helping other law firms get better, giving back my time. But this stuff energizes me. Like, I'm excited. All of this stuff makes me excited, makes me better. And is what I love to do. I'm just not wasting time. All right. All right. Well, Glenn Learner, I want to turn it over to you. So do you ever feel like you don't know what you're doing? And then if, in those times, who do you call on for help? Who, who do you re- reach out to? It, I, I think after 30 years of doing this, I don't know if this, I don't know what I'm doing. It's just I've made every mistake you can make. So I've become pretty good at learning from most of my mistakes. Some of them I have to make a few times. But um I think in running a law firm, I think the most important thing, you know, for me, and I think I've been very candid, you know, my faith is the foundation of my life, my faith and my marriage. And um, I think my people, you know, we have close to 500 employees, 
my people see the type of man that I am. And I, that's an important thing, how you treat your people. We're really good at engaging our people. 99% of our people love working there. And that's, I think, for anybody out there listening, if you can't engage your employees, your employees are your greatest ambassador. If the client's calling up and speaking to somebody that's bitter and angry, that's a terrible reflection on your business. My goal, nobody wants to work, but it ain't in the cards for everybody. So the people that have to work, I want to make those nine hours, eight hours plus an hour for lunch. Everybody that takes a smoke break still, maybe they cheat you a little time or whatever, but I want that to be the best eight, nine hours that they could ever have in any work environment. And I, I think for the most part, we achieve that. There are going to be people that aren't going to be happy, but they're not going to be happy anywhere. But I think we provide a really great work environment I, so that you treat my clients amazingly well and they're happy. That, that's our job. We want happy clients. And not all of them will be happy. We, we represent close to 20,000 people a year just for single event cases. Another 10,000 for all the other crap out there. Not everybody's going to be happy. I'd be lying if I said that. But gosh, I, I want to make sure we do the best job to make sure we have the best chance. We have a really high bat batting average, you know? You guys aren't even answering my questions. All right, Glenn, thank you. I, I, I appreciate that. But look, for everyone attending, I have a responsibility to these people. So let's turn this up a notch. If you had to compete against yourself, what would you what would you do to put yourself out of business? How would you do it? Okay, let's go ahead and make it interesting now. John Gomez, we'll start with you. Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't want someone coming in and uh, stealing my good people. That's where I'd start. I feel like I have a superior team. Um, if someone really wanted to hurt me, they would take um, my top trial lawyers and people that I trust and rely upon. That'd be one thing. They would, uh, I guess, outspend and outclass me in terms of uh, sort of the marketing realm. You know, those would probably be the two things. I really rely on my people. You know, I, I feel like, Glenn, I have great, great people around me, a great team. And if they came in and took out some of my really high value people, that'd be the way to get me. It'd be like a sports team, you know, like sports guys, like they'll grab like a couple players from a team and that team is completely different. That'd be the main way you could hurt me. Thank you, John. Thank you. Thank you for the for the honest answer. Andrew, I want, I want to turn it over to you. If you had to compete against yourself, how would you put your your you know yourself and your firm out of business? And the only answer you guys cannot give to this question is it would be impossible. Okay. So like if, if we could find out how would you actually do it if you had to do it? Yeah, that that is a you know, ever since you asked that, I've I've never even thought about that. Um, that's a really hard uh, question, but uh, I'm going to jump on John's bandwagon because I think what uh, separates my firm, the reality is we all do the exact same thing. We deliver services and we all perceive ourselves that we deliver superior services, but our clients don't know the distinction between one or another because they're only getting the services from my firm. They're not testing out other organizations. And I'm relying on a staff that's been with me for... 40. I mean, the average time of people in my firm is is 22 years. That's average. You know, we have people 20, 30, 40 years. If they disappeared uh, and were competing against me and embraced the culture that we have, it'd be a real challenge. 
we could put out there the whatever the marketing message is and make the phone ring, but it's how the phone is answered that is distinguishing. And if I don't have the people that I have the confidence in the way they're answering the phone and delivering the services, then I'm at a competitive disadvantage because, frankly, that's what I think my competitive advantage is. And that, just going full circle for everybody listening, that didn't just happen because we hired the right people, that happened because we trained them and indoctrinated them into our culture and what our expectations are. So it's totally achievable. You know, I don't own the market on high quality service. You just have to make that the priority of your firm. That's kind of how I started. What's the goal? And are you setting a path to accomplish that goal? Thank you, Andrew. Mike Morris, I want to turn it over to you. What would it take if you had to compete against the Mike Morrison Law Firm to put him out of business, I know it wouldn't be setting the building on fire. What would it be? That's a fucked up question. First of all, I'm not saying nobody can do it, but they're trying every fucking day, like uh, somebody said here. I mean, I, I have my competitors are out there. I don't give a shit if they're on this call. They put my face on their commercials uh, all the time. They, they, one of the guys who spends almost as much as I do said, say, well, I don't do skits with my mom on my commercials. I mean, they're taking shots every day. I mean, they're, they, they, they want to do beat. They want to beat me. They got to do better commercials and hire better people and give back to the community more and, you know, do better than I'm doing. And, you know, what I do is very transparent. That's what they would need to do. Uh, and they're trying, but specifics, I mean, you know, that's why people say, why do you write the, why do you give away your secrets in the book? It's because people, people don't execute. People aren't, visionaries people you know you can't fake it you can't fake this business i mean you can't i don't care if somebody had 10 times as much money and came into my market and and spent it all they're they're not people have tried there have been lots of people come in and tried and i don't have that secret sauce i just do what i do and it's not that secret it's just who, who we all are right i mean i don't like the question well well, I like the answer, and I, and I actually appreciate you you going into the execution of it because you know I'll follow this up in the sense of what do you believe that you do so differently in being able to execute? Because you're right, it's, it's it's extremely rare. It's not like they don't know what you're doing. I mean, you literally put it out in a book, but at the same time, they can't seem to catch up. That's the I get that asked all the time, and I'm sure everybody on this panel has been asked it in a in a podcast. What makes you so successful? It's it's the focus. It's the never being satisfied. It's the stuff that we all answered in your first question. It's and, and you can't fake it. I mean, uh, you've all seen horrible TV ads. You've all seen uh, people trying and they just can't. It does, you're like, who the fuck would call that person, right? You can't fake it. You, you, uh, either your team follows you and you, you put together a good team and they believe in you and the mission and your mission and what you're doing for your clients or they don't. It's not, uh, it's not easy to duplicate. And that's why there's not a ton of amazing law firms out there. There's a lot of good ones. There's a million law firms. I mean, there's not, there's no shortage of law firms, but there's, there's not that many that, that really rise to the top. And a lot of them have the same qualities and, you know, you do a good job of finding them here. Um, you've heard, I've heard lots of the similar qualities from all these gentlemen on this, on this panel right now. I mean, some of it you can teach, you got to have it. At least there are a lot of these are internal, emotional, spiritual, psychological things we're talking about. And then all of us take knowledge like that and, and build on top of it and get to the top. And, and not everybody can do that. 
Mike, thank you. Now, Glenn, I want to I want to turn it over to you. What would it take to uh, uh, if you had to compete against Learner and Row? What what would you do to put you guys out of business? You know, I think especially in multiple markets where you're kind of taking it from a bunch of different places, people always, whenever you're, you know, the largest market or certainly one of the largest marketers in your, in your markets, everybody's going to use you as the barometer and they're going to be pointing to you and you're the one they want to come after in any business model. I think what separates us is our com- we're competitive guys. You know, my partner and I were both college athletes. We're both very competitive. So I think to, to beat us, you'd have to, it's not just money. Anybody can spend money. It takes a lot of money to build a brand. It's not just popping money in. It's that intestinal fortitude to stick with it for a period of time. So I think someone would have to a lot of intestinal fortitude, be ultra competitive, be patient. But ultimately, the thing that defines every one of the businesses of my fellow panel members is culture. You know, I know a couple of men have mentioned the word culture. And I think that's the most important thing. In fact, the one thing I've worried about the most with the pandemic and people not being in the office and feeding off each other's energy is culture. We have a wonderful business culture. And that's something you can't just spend money and build a culture. It's a people feeding off the leaders. It's the people you have, like Mr. Gomez talked about, his leaders in his office and his main people. But it's putting all this in a shaker and coming up with something that's special. I don't really worry about what other people are doing. You know, guys are going to outspend me sometimes. Just do my job and really focus on our people and our communities. All right, John Barry, let's, let's close it out. We'll get off it. Don't worry. We got, we got a lot more uncomfortable questions coming up. But, but John, uh, what would it take to knock off, you know, Barry Law Firm? Well, the first thing is pretty easy. The VA grants every be- every veteran all the benefits that they've earned. We're done. Mission accomplished. Our whole veterans practice is done because there's no more to do. That's my dream. Hopefully that happens. But the other way is just drown us in opportunity, right? We learned that, uh, you know, we do veterans law, criminal defense, and PI. And we've gone into other areas. And guess what? We failed. And the reason why we failed is because, you know, we saw the opportunity there. And the question wasn't, could we do it? But should we do it? And should we put forth all the resources to do it? So we found ourselves, you know, multiple, it's one of those lessons we learn over and over again. Hey, you know, the opportunities are all there. There's too many opportunities. And, and the key for us, I think if I was going to kill us, hey, drown us in opportunities. Give us all these marketing opportunities. Give us all these practice area opportunities. Give us the opportunities to hire all these superstars beyond what we're capable of doing. And we'll try to do it. And we'll kill ourselves trying. And I think that that is what would put us out of business. Too much opportunity. Thank you, John. All right, so let's uh, let's let's shift it over. We'll, we'll talk about marketing, and I know this is one that you know people are always excited about. Everybody always likes the marketing questions, but I'll, I'll kind of give you the, the the question and the thought chart, and we'll kind of go around. But what are some of the things that you guys have done? You know, just as far as marketing goes, to ensure that you never have to worry about where the next case is coming from. Okay, um, Andrew, we'll start with you. Consistency. That's the word that I would use, just uh, regardless of the market conditions, consistently being out there and building a brand uh, and knowing what the brand stands for, defining what that brand is and making sure there's alignment in every communication that's consistent with the brand. I mean, our brand is about caring, compassion and concern for our clients, our community and our colleagues. And we make sure that that uh, rings through in everything that we do from every communication that's out there. So, and it's also understanding the distinction between direct response and branding, right? If you're focused on direct response, you're going to get direct response cases. That's not 
precisely what I'm looking for. Um, looking for people who are might be more interested in a what that particular brand stands for. All right, thank you, Andrew. John Gomez, what about what about you? What are, what are some of the things that you've done specifically on the you know as far as marketing goes to ensure that you guys don't have to worry about where the next case is coming from? Well, I wish I was at that point. You know, I still do worry about the next case or or the next month or the next year. I'm always looking forward, but. You know, I feel pretty comfortable. I think the main thing that we've done is stay true to ourselves in terms of what um, distinguishes us, what differentiates us from the market. And so we start out as a trial firm. Uh, we try cases. We we brand ourselves as a trial firm. We talk about ourselves as a trial firm. I went on TV just recently for the first time. And so our whole marketing, you know, our TV ads are focused on trial so everything we do is focused on trial. And, you know, that is what distinguishes us. That's what we enjoy doing. That's what we'll always do. And so I think just, you know, like uh, Andrew said, um, the consistency of who we are and staying true to that and having all of our marketing stem from that uh, identity. Thank you, John. Glenn, what about you? What, what, what are some of the things you guys do to make sure you don't worry about where the next case is coming from? Because you guys have thousands every single month. I think, uh, you know, I think, as Andrew said, I think certainly the most important thing, I, I think, is creating a brand. You can buy leads. Anybody can go get leads, buy leads. But ultimately, I think it comes down to creating a brand. And creating a brand takes time. The problem is most people, everybody's got this get-rich-quick mentality. Gosh, I want to get this. I want to compete with Glenn or Mike or Andrew or John or well, Mr. Berry right now, and I want to be the number one guy in the market, but it, you start off slow. You're number six in the market, you're number five, and it's just taking its little incremental steps, but you're creating a brand to ultimately top of mind awareness, but it takes time. It takes a lot of money. Everything you make, you put back into your business, but you have to figure out what's going to differentiate your brand too. You know, we have a unique marketing model. It's just different. It works for my personality. It's not going to work maybe for Mr. Finkelstein or Mr. Gomez. So find something that's true to you, something that you believe really reinforces who you are in your community and go with it. You just have to have the, you know, the intestinal fortitude to stick with it because it, it's tough sometimes. It takes time. But I, I believe if you have something good in you, you put together a good marketing plan, I think you can be successful. Excellent. Now you're going to like this one. Okay. And it, you know, so we're talking about marketing now. And, and the question is really just what are some of the things that you've done as far as marketing goes to really ensure that you never have to worry about where the next case is coming from? So that's a, that's a good one. I mean, that is a good one. So, you know, when we, when we use the word fireproof, it kind of reflects to this as well. And, and the Cherry Garcia versus Vanilla concept that you've all heard me talk about is just really, you know, standing out being different, making sure your message resonates. And we've done a decent job doing that. And, and I know that my ads are the best in my market. I just know it. And I've gotten lots of national awards on it. And I have full confidence in it. Uh, we do focus groups. I talk to people. I talk to my clients. You know, it just, it's one of those things you can't fake it. And, and I'm just confident about it. And, um, you know, everybody's trying to, to take me down and, and come up with better ads. And, you know, when I first started on TV nine years ago, the ads completely all sucked with regards to quality. Then we decided 
the quality was important. So we were spending more and more money on our ads so that our competitors spend more than, you know, our ads. We spend money on our ads um, to make them beautiful. So we spare no expense on that. And I think that's important. And I think that makes us fireproof when it comes to our advertising. I, I don't have sleepless nights. If there's down times, everybody's down right now. I'm not scared in the least bit. When things go back up, we're going to be right there. I just have full faith and confidence in my marketing and advertising. And it's all out there to see. So it's not, again, it's not a secret what I'm doing, but you, I'm, I have no fear that people are going to steal what I'm doing because they're not me. What we do is just, it's just not, it's just not a secret. It's just, it is what it is. And, and, and we're, we're getting that message out there and it seems to be resonating. Thank you, Mike. And I know a few of you guys, you mentioned brand and the importance of brand. And I'm, I'm sure there's, there's always people listening that, you know, they hear that stuff and they say, it's easy for them to say, right. They can focus on the brand. Well, you know, I, I've got to make sure we got, you know, this next case coming in. So I can't focus on the brand, you know, and they're thinking, you know, the, the answer they might want to hear is, well, how much should I spend on Google pay-per-click or how much, you know, should I do billboards or should I do TV or should I do radio? But let's, let's talk about the importance of brand, you know, really at any stage of the firm. And, you know, John Barry, I know you guys have a, have a very strong brand. You've got people in your community that are literally wearing your jersey like they're, they're they're wearing the shirts they're wearing the hats they're very familiar with the Barry law from even even nationally right and it, it, it starts with culture mike i mean that's the most important thing right the brand is part of your culture so you have to do that internal branding and then it becomes external so when we say we're america's veterans law firm hell our clients are proud of that our employees are proud of that. And then when we can be a hero to a veteran, he's going to send us 10 more veterans. And, you know, that's just the thing is when you can be a hero to your client and your client knows what that brand stands for, you know, and they win. And, yeah, it is like being, hey, I want to wear that jersey. I want to be a part of that team. I love what these guys stand for. And that's why brand is so important. People need to know what you stand for so that they can stand with you. Thank you, John. Andrew, what, what are your thoughts? What are your thoughts on brand? You have to know who you are. And they have to be authentic. You can't fake it. I, a lot of people have said that already, and I'm just going to mimic it. it. It is about you and your organization and your communications have to be consistent with that. And if it's not authentic, people see through it right away. People have a bullshit meter and they, they're looking for it. So if you're not authentic in your brand and it is who you are, then you're not going to be successful. So you, it, it takes an evolution to understand who you are and understand what you actually stand for. We believe passionately about righting wrongs. And if you've been wronged, we're going to hold them accountable. Who's the them? Whoever did it to you. We have billboards that say that. And, and it's about holding them accountable because that's what we believe in and that's what we believe our clients want. Our clients aren't coming here I just hung up the phone right before this with a client and it's a very, very significant case. And she said, I'd rather not have the money. I want my health back. But now that I'm in the situation I'm in, I want everything I'm entitled to. I want to hold them accountable. And that's what they want. So we make sure that's what we're about. Thank you, Andrew. John Gomez, I want to turn it over to you because, you know, whatever people see Gomez trial attorneys, it's always, it seems to command a level of respect. You know, they respect you. They respect the firm. How, how would you define the brand of your firm? Well, our, our first core value is we always do the right thing. And what that means is in all of our dealings, you know, with our clients, with uh, opposing counsel, with colleagues, uh, you know, among ourselves, we conduct ourselves with integrity and, and character. And so that's a measuring stick of what we do. I heard this guy and he goes, there's a lot of people out there, maybe they got the sizzle, but they got no steak. 
You know, and, and so for me, branding has to come from a genuine place of excellence. We really do feel like we're the very, very best lawyers that our would-be clients can hire. We really do feel like we provide the very best client experience that can be provided. We really do feel like, you know, we have a culture that is valuable and supportive of all of our team members. We really, so like I think Andrew said, and, and a lot of people said, brand without, you know, the stake, sizzle without the stake is going to be sniffed out as fake and false every single time. And so, you know, we're talking a lot about marketing and growth. You have to have a great team of people with character and you have to pay attention to your craft and deliver a wonderful and valuable product too. That's where it all starts for us. There's certainly listeners out there who might be thinking, this all sounds like a lot of work. Building a brand, establishing a strong firm culture, and investing in yourself as a leader, as well as learning all the things that go into running a successful law firm. One topic I wanted to get our panelists to weigh in on is social media. How much of their advertising focus today is now on social media versus other mediums such as TV, radio, and billboards? We started with Mike Morse. I mean, it's a necessary evil. I don't think anybody likes it. I don't think I get a ton of cases from it, but it definitely promotes the brand and it promotes what your good stuff you're doing. I'm sure we get cases and there are connections that are made. It's a lot of focus. I think you need to outsource that. I'm lucky enough to have a team in-house, but we also use outside companies to you know, do the social media, the PPC, the SEO, all that kind of stuff. I don't think you can be a firm in, in this day and age without it. I think you need to um, see what others are doing. I was you know, looking to maybe uh, steal some ideas from Mr. Lerner on the call with, I love his contests. I love the stuff he, they do down there to, to generate excitement and generate followers. I truly like it. And I think it's giving back and I think it's good. I think there's very, it's, it's hard to be creative and spend that much time on that. I have a full-time video person in my office. So if I am interacting with clients or if there's a moment that needs to be captured, it's there. I think that's part of it. But even if you pick up your cell phone and do it, I think that's important. And I do think you need to, most people aren't on TV, right? So, so they got it. They're shooting nice videos like you guys produce Michael and they're putting it on social and you know, you didn't ask this question, but I'm going to go there just for a second. It's hard to know is it the TV? Is it the social media? You know, the attribution model is so, so important with the billboards and the TV. And eventually, once you've been doing as long as some of these guys, it's hard to know what's working. But I think if you're not on social media, it's like not having a website. I think, in my opinion, these days, if you, if you have a, because people are looking, people are looking, that's, they're Googling you, they're looking at your website, they're checking out your social media. So, you got you to gotta dedicate some budget and you got to figure it out. And there's not a lot of good companies out there creating good content, helping with content. Most people I call, I don't want that. I don't want that business. You don't want that business, Michael. Nobody wants that business. It's a hard business. So you need to create your own content. In your meetings every week, you need to figure out how to create content. Content, content, content. Thank you, Mike. Glenn, I'd love to get your thoughts on this because I know you, over the years you've invested significantly in a lot of traditional advertising, but just how has, you know, if it has, how's your focus shifted? What are your thoughts on social media and how much of your focus and, you know, and marketing budget is now on social? The bane of my existence, I think it's the bane of almost any uh, TV advertiser's existence because for so long, 
we cornered the market with just TV. If you were the biggest spender on TV, you created a catchy brand, you did well. Now you have all these guys coming out and nipping at you. It's like little minnows everywhere, nipping. And we look at it two ways. You know, I, I think we might have the, the most Facebook followers in America, but Facebook's getting a little long in the tooth now. And we've done well on Facebook, as Mike pointed out, by being very transactional. We do tons of giveaways. It's part of our whole gives back. It's fun to give away. It's fun to, hey, this is fun. I grew up with a father in jail for double murder. I grew up on welfare. So to give stuff away every month, this is fun. I feel like Robin Hood. But social media isn't just giving stuff away. If you truly want to dominate social media and you're an Instagram guy, you have to figure out how do you make a law firm relevant? That term relevance. And I still haven't figured out. I don't know if you have, Mike. I don't know if really anybody is. How do you make what we do relevant? So it's maybe finding little things, having little fun Instagram programs you can do with you and your partner or other people, talk shows, fun things to make people talk about you. Because what we do is not relevant until they need you. And that's the hardest thing about what we do. I think the, the person really figures out how to crack their Instagram code and make attorneys really relevant is going to do extremely well. All right, Glenn. Thank you. John Barry, let's turn it over to you. So thoughts on social. I know you guys do do a great deal, but you know, how much of your focus is on social media? How much your, you know, your marketing budget's on social? Sure. So, yeah, I think that the simple answer is not enough of our marketing budget is on social. I think Mr. Lerner nailed it. We got to figure out a way to be relevant on social. So we've got to provide some valuable content uh, that, that that's users are going to want to consume. We were uh, very naive about it in the beginning, and now we understand how much engagement matters, right? And if you can't get engagement, then you're in trouble. And I can remember back in the day, right, where another phone book would come out and I'd be like, damn, now I gotta spend money on another phone book because there's multiple phone books, right? Well, it's the same with social media. You know, there's a new social media uh, channel, a channel or application every couple of weeks. And so how do, you, how do you push out content on those? in a way that's going to resonate with the people who, who listen to it. And, and, and you got to pay attention. You can't just prejudge stuff like TikTok. We thought, oh, that's for 11-year-old girls. Well, the truth is it was 18 to 24-year-olds and it skewed heavily military. So all of a sudden, why are we not on TikTok? Uh, these are the things that come up when you come with an open mind. But I, going back to Mr. Lerner, yeah, we have to have some reason for them to engage with us. Otherwise, uh, we can't do well on social media. Thank you, John. So let's go quickly around and we'll, we'll talk about other topics outside of marketing, but I'd love to ask each one of you, just because I'm sure people are wondering, what has been the single most effective marketing strategy that you've done that's yielded the highest ROI, just, just overall across the board? Andrew, we'll start with you. Building personal relationships, uh, referrals from personal relationships, uh, from professional relationships, medical, and the branding is all great. But at the end of the day, uh, because we focus on catastrophic cases and people need to have some trust in that person they're going to hire and that doesn't come – not too many catastrophic cases come from a click. They come from a recommendation. So it's all about those relationships. Thank you, Andrew. All right, Mike Morris, what's been the single best marketing strategy you've ever done that's brought about the highest return on investment? TV. There you go. Easy. <laughs> TV. All right. Glenn Lerner, what about you? I think in the beginning, it certainly was TV. Um, as time goes on, you're 
cost per case absolutely goes up with the competitive nature. I think without trying to get a benefit from it, just doing it because it's incumbent and it's necessary, I think our gives back around the nation has been the most important thing we've done. People want to engage with a law firm that they feel is part of the community. And anybody, I don't know how many people out there listening, but if I could give you one word of advice, if you take one thing away today, and a lot of guys have said smart things today, get involved in your community. Don't do it because you want cases. Do it because you've been really blessed to be a lawyer and have a a pretty cool life for most people. I, I think you're going to be blessed 10 times over. The things you do in your community, it's going to come back on you. It galvanizes your employee base. I think it does more for your employees. People want to work for people they like. John Gomez, what's, uh, you know, what's been the single most effective marketing strategy you've done that's yielded the highest return? It's difficult to distill it to one thing, but you know, marketing ourselves as trial lawyers and then winning trials. And so I've always seen a dramatic increase in business after we succeed in trials. So that's one. Two, you know, really, really developing lifelong relationships with our clients. You know, we, we tell them we have a customer or a client satisfaction program. And at the end, we, we instill in them this idea that we're their lawyers for life. And so we, some of our biggest cases have certainly come from other, you know, former clients. And, and third, I would echo Andrew, you know, uh, relationships. I have something like taped right here where I work and it says, what are you doing right now? Because I want to be just focused on my highest and best use. I want to delegate everything else. And it says big cases, big relationships, big presence, big ideas. And if I'm not doing those things, I'm wasting time. And so if I focus on those things, then I know that we're going to do well in terms of getting new business. Thank you, John. And John Barry, we'll close out this question uh, with, with you. What's been the most effective marketing strategy you've done that's yielded the highest return? Well, I would echo everything that all these gentlemen have said. And I think there's no substitute for winning. Winning is the best thing you can do. That that There's where you prove yourself. But when it comes to the actual marketing techniques, I think what your listeners want to hear is which technique is it, right? It's all of them. What worked today will not work tomorrow. You have to test. You have to measure. Chris does videos. They do social. And you guys will move on to the next thing before we're even there. And so that's why I like to work with companies uh, who do more than just one thing. Because if I go to a social media company, they're going to tell me, I need more social media. That's going to be my best thing. If I go to uh, the TV stations, they're going to say, you need to be on TV. Radio stations, the same thing. You know, whether it's digital or traditional media, you have to test and measure. Because what works today will not work tomorrow. So my my best efforts 10 years ago that got me, you know, hey, we were way ahead of the game in PPC. You know, that did wonderful things for us. Now, it's, it's not as great anymore. And so I, I wouldn't want to mislead anybody and say, I did one thing once and it knocked it out of the park. No, you got to keep doing everything and keep testing it and measuring. And if it doesn't work, it may be because you're not very good at it and you need to get better. Thank you, John. All right. So we're off marketing. We got to talk about what I think arguably may be the most important aspect of it, that we, of, of things that we'll talk about even on this dial. And, and it's the importance of people, right? People and culture and the importance of hiring the right ones. Um, what, what are some of the things you guys have done to attract the best people into your organization? And how do you really foster and develop those people? Andrew, we'll, we'll start with you. I would start with emotional intelligence, right? And I'd probably end with emotional intelligence. People who are not uh, self-centered but can think outside of their own self-preservation and truly care 
about the people that they're working with together with our clients and recognizing that what our culture is. I saw somebody ask, how do you develop culture and promote culture in your firm? You need to reduce it to writing and commit to it and communicate it. I don't know what other people's cultures are, but everybody in my organization knows exactly what our culture is. I said it earlier, I can repeat it, but we know what our culture is. And that is we want to like where we work and with the people that we work with. So it's a culture of caring, commitment and concern for our clients, our community and our colleagues. And uh, that takes a level of emotional intelligence to realize it's not about me, but it's about the people that I'm working with and my clients and the community that I'm in. And um, by reducing it to writing and uh, frankly, asking certain questions during interviews to draw out what their true motivations are, uh, because I've been doing this so long, Of course, everybody wants money and everybody wants more money. That's a given, but that's not what drives people to work really hard and be truly committed. I'm talking about people who are here for the long term, 25, 30, 35, 40 year people. Uh, I have the benefit of being my firm 62 years old this year. It's much bigger than compensation. Thank you, Andrew. John Gomez, I'd love to ask you this because I know earlier when we were talking about what it would take to put you out of business, you'd say it'd be taking your people, but how, how are you attracting such great trial lawyers? How, you know, and, and ultimately, what, what are you doing to keep them engaged? You know, I think it really comes down to the idea, and I, think, I bet you everybody on this call would agree, there's a difference between having the mindset that people work for you and having the mindset that you work for your team. And, you know, I feel honest in my heart, I feel I work for them. I feel I have a responsibility to my team. Like, and it's part of what motivates me to get up and work hard every day is I think about all those families and those kids and, you know, I've seen them get married. You know, I've seen some of them start as receptionists, then they go to law school, then they're, you know, like a junior associate. Now they're a partner. You know, I think like really, if you're of that genuine mindset, that's going to shine through and you're going to get good people. If you're some jerk that just thinks, you know, that the help's for you so you can get another mansion, you know, then that's, you're not going to do well or retain good people. Thank you, John. Mike, what what are your thoughts and just in terms of how to attract the best talent and, and really how to retain them? So we have core values. We share those core values, we hire on them, we fire on them, we reward on them, and we recognize people if they're in our core values. And the core values we set, we've never changed them. And so I think that that's, you know, that's culture, that's making sure you hire good people. As you know, uh, Michael, I'm a big fan of, of testing people. So we test every new employee, five or six or seven different tests to tell us who they are personality wise, how smart they are, how they think, lots and lots of things. I won't hire anybody without it. And that'll, that'll talk to culture. That'll talk to making sure you hire the best people because you, you, if they're not meeting your core values and you don't rate the people, if you're having a person issue in your meeting, well, do they meet the core values or not? And, and what's your bar? Well, if they don't meet five out of six, do they got to go four out of six? Do they got to go? Now we know what to do with them. Either, you know, give them a performance plan where they can get better or you get rid of them. 
And, and Mike, on that note, you know, it's some of the things you're mentioning are non-negotiables or even minimum standards. But, you know, I know one with the hiring process, if they're not willing to take those tests or assessments, you know, they're, they're obviously not going to proceed with the hiring process. But what are some of your other non-negotiables just as far as like being a part of the Mike Morse law firm? You have to interview well. You have to be likable. It has to be somebody I want to have lunch with. You've heard that saying. I have a, you know, a no jerk rule. I usually insert a different word there, but I'm trying to make this more PC. Um, but if that person's a jerk and I don't want to be around that person, that person is not coming to the firm. Now, because I am no longer doing all the hiring, my team, I had to teach my team, uh, you know, what I thought a jerk was. And um, they're doing a pretty good job. I have an HR department now who makes sure that they have these minimum standards. So it's a good question other non-negotiables. But they, you know, depends. It's really important. Like if if they're if if they're applying for a lawyer, I ask them an off the wall question, and if they can't think on their feet, I'll say, you know, you were part of a salad. What part of the salad would you be, and why? And they're like, you know, the good the good ones, the lawyers. Yeah, I'm the croutons. Why? Who doesn't like croutons? You know, good funny answers. You know, fun. But if people are like, you know, I I'd be the the, the cherries. Why? Well, I like cherries. You know, that's a terrible answer, right? But you know, you what what's what's thinking on their feet? Or if you ask them, there's other funny questions that I, you know, about other things we could get into another time, but they gotta fit the part. You know, if they're gonna be a secretary or paralegal, we have testing to see how they type and see their punctuation and see if they can write and see if they can make decisions. These tests help if people can make decisions. If people can't make decisions, they're not gonna be a good fit almost in any role. And and these tests will tell on themselves. During interviews, if you ask the right questions, people will tell on themselves. Thank you, Mike. By the way, guys, we got about another 10, 12 minutes left. So I want to get through another, at least two questions because we got some good ones. I was saving the best for last, but I want to stay on this one. John Barry, what, what are some of the non-negotiables to do to actually exist and continue to exist at the Barry Law Firm? You have to believe in our core values, right? You, you've got to be one of the one of the team. And if you're not willing to do that, then then you're out. And there are some phenomenal lawyers. Uh, that just can't work here because they're they're not team players. They don't want to be part of our culture. They want to go out and be the Lone Ranger. And there's nothing wrong with that. We just can't have that here. Yeah, but yeah, if you don't live by our core values, then you can't be here. And warrior ethos is important. You know, if you're going to break down every time you get some harsh feedback, and you know, we want to be gentle with our feedback, but we want to be clear about what's going on. If you don't understand that feedback is a gift, you can't work here, right? Because we're here to get better. I'm not going to let the rest of the team struggle and suffer uh, because we've got a weak link who refuses to improve. We need constant improvement. Uh, we need a dedication to the team. We need dedication to the client. If you can't show that, you can't be here. And it's, you know, it, that's just a sad reality. If you want to be in an institution of excellence, you have to make that a non-negotiable, that everybody has to get better. Everybody has to raise the bar. Because if you start letting people slide, your rock stars are going to see it. And once that happens, they're going to leave. They're going to lose faith in you as the leader. They're going to lose faith in the team. So you have to have the non-negotiables, whatever they are. But if you want to be great, you have to let the team know. They've got to be great team players, and they got to keep getting better. Nobody stays where they are. Everybody improves. Thank you, John. Um, Glenn, I know you mentioned you know earlier Bill Belichick, Nick Saban, and, and I'd love for you to talk about what are some of the non-negotiables at, at Learner and Rome? Like, what, what are some of the, you know, the standards that must be met? I was going to talk about those guys because um, if you look around the country, you have a number of Bill Belichick disciples coaching teams. You have a number of Nick Saban disciples coaching teams. You need to find people 
don't anybody drink their own Kool-Aid. This isn't rocket science. We're not, re we're not reinventing the wheel here. There's nothing so difficult about what we do. We run businesses now, and like any business, the fundamental tenets of business, uh, be able to delegate, find people that buy into your process, and find us. You can't have too many chiefs and not enough Indians either, but find that certain core group of guys that can take the ball and run with it. And that's what we've done. And I think we've, we've, we're looking for guys that have a lot of our same characteristics, a certain competitiveness, but guys that now have our DNA. We have probably half a dozen guys around the country that we could just ship off to you know, Alaska and go run an office. And you need to be able to find the people. Not everybody can do that. They're not every one of our attorneys, 50 plus attorneys can go start their own office to do this, but guys that somehow through osmosis over the years have just, they've absorbed your DNA, your way of doing things. And you know what it allows you to do? It allows you to grow your business. It allows you to go, you go deal with Mike, go make videos, go deal with the online people while these guys are running day to day. Because if you're trying to do everything on your own without finding new leaders and growing a new batch of leaders all the time, and we've had several guys that they go off and they start new offices or new states and you can trust them. If you micromanage people, you kill them. If you're gonna want, if you wanna grow and you're gonna delegate things, let people make mistakes, use them as learning opportunities, grow from them. If they keep making the same mistakes, they have to go obviously but you cannot micromanage people. You destroy ingenuity, creativeness. You, you kill people, you stifle people. All right, so we got time for one one last question. Guys, we can keep it to a minute each. We, we might actually even finish on time. Uh, and th thank you to everyone who's uh, who's been listening to this. So I want to close it out. You know, there's a lot of people out there giving advice and they're, you know, I'm sure we're always getting things that we should do. But if you could share what was the best piece of advice you'd ever received, what was the worst piece of advice that you've ever received? Um, John Gomez, we'll, we'll start with you. A worst piece of advice I received is to act like a lawyer all the time. You know, don't embarrass a profession by going on TV. Don't embarrass a profession by doing billboards. You know, act lawyerly because, you know, guys that are on TV or billboards or whatever are not real lawyers. And that I've come to learn that that is not true. And so that's the worst advice, best advice I ever received. You know, I just feel like uh, whoever told me as a young kid to work as hard as I possibly could at things that matter to me, I've carried that through athletics. I carried it through academics. I do it now. I feel like it's the thing that distinguishes me is hard work. So uh, whoever said that, whoever said, you know, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. You know, anyone that's taught me to work hard is the best advice I've ever received. Thank you, John. Andrew, what was best advice, worst advice? So you didn't ask me about what the non-negotiable is, so I'm going to intertwine it with the answer here. And best advice intertwined with the non-negotiable is, it's kind of just how I think about every one of our clients as if it was my grandmother, uh, who's not with us anymore, but would... I want her treated the way that we're treating our client. And that's kind of the standard. And that rises to the non-negotiable, which is not returning a client's phone call within 24 hours. That's just a non-negotiable. 
you must return a client. There's nothing more infuriating than silence. Somebody reaches out to you and wants a response. That doesn't mean you have to engage in a whole conversation, but just an acknowledgement that I have got your call, set up a call when it's going to be returned. And everybody knows that's a total non-negotiable because the only reason why clients are upset is because of the perception of the quality of service and reaction time is quite important. So, I, and I don't have an answer for the worst advice. All right, Mike, Mike Morris, what's been the best advice and the worst advice you've received? I'm kind of like with Andrew here. I, I, I don't have a great worst advice uh, and I'm racking my brain and I, and, and I hate not being able to give an answer and I'm sure I will soon, but you know, they made lots of, you know, bad, I've made personal bad decisions and, and, and I've had errors and I probably didn't quit a job that I should have had. That's kind of where my brain's going, you know, that I kind of listen to my internal dialogue. You got to be loyal. You got to stay, even though they're treating you like shit. And even though you could do better on your own and I'm that loyal that I don't, I waited to get fired. Thank you, Mike. Thank you. All right, Glenn, best advice, worst advice. If, if you can keep it to a minute. I think the best advice is to always treat every client as if it's your only client. No client wants to hear, oh, I'm sorry, but I have so many other clients. I just couldn't get to you or this or that. They don't care how many other clients you have. They care about their case. Treat everybody like your only client. I don't know if I've ever gotten any advice that I could consider my worst advice. I wish I could tell you something more concise. The only advice I'll give everybody, just be humble, be nice, love people. That's it. That's, we're in a pretty cool profession. Just go out there and treat everybody the way you want to be treated. And I think it'll be difficult not to be successful. Thank you, Glenn. All right. John Barry, let's close this out. Best advice, worst advice. We're batting 100% because John Gomez also has some pretty good worst advice. Uh, but what, what do you got? What's been the best advice you've received and the worst advice? I think the best advice has been every decision you make matters. Every decision in your life that you make matters. It has consequences. There's a gravity of our decisions that sometimes we fail to realize until two or three days later, right? So as a leader, it's very important. Every decision matters. The worst advice I, I got was never quit, right? Now, I never let, would let a kid quit a football team in season or something like that. But what I'm saying is there are some things in life that you're just going to suck at. You're not going to be good. You're not going to derive pleasure from them. They're not going to serve you. So guess what? If you're doing it and it's not helping you get where you want to go, then quit. If it doesn't help you get towards your goals, if it doesn't serve your life, quit doing it. I want to give a huge thank you to John Gomez, John Barry, Mike Morris, Andrew Finkelstein, and Glenn Lerner for taking the time to speak with us today. You've been listening to the Game Changing Attorney Podcast with me, Michael Mogul. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd really appreciate it if you could share the podcast with at least one other ambitious law firm owner who you believe would benefit. And you know what? Maybe more than one. For more information on this special edition episode of the Game Changing Attorney Podcast, Legal Legends Live 2, see the show notes for this episode in your podcast app or visit GameChangingAttorney.com. And join us next time when we'll be speaking to the CEO of digital marketer, Ryan Dice, about marketing strategies that actually work. Marketing is not going to fix a bad business. All right, great marketing will only accelerate the demise of a bad business. It is a, an amplifier. It is, it is a fuel. It is an accelerant. That's next time on the Game Changing Attorney Podcast. Oh, 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 oh